0: Once you know how to make a podcast and you people know that you edit audio, they just start coming out of the woodwork and asking you to do things. I feel like every editor had this experience. Like if you just want to learn how to edit and only make your own show, just like don't tell anyone you know how to <laughs> yeah. edit because they will come to you and they will to ask you, you yep. to do audio things for them.
1: Podcast Chunkies, episode 333. What an interesting number some high vibe energy associated with that number. If anyone is familiar with me and my spirituality journey, I love that this is the number that I wrap up 2023 with. You'll be hearing this in 2024 as the team gets this ready for production. And I'm so excited to share this episode with you. If you are new to the show, it's the one where I interview interesting voices in podcasting, get them to kick back their heels and talk about their shows and whatever else is on their mind. My name is Harry Duran. I've been doing this since 2014. It's crazy. We are now in the 10th year of this show, April-ish. Sometimes I'll be celebrating the official 10 years of Podcast Junkies. So expect more. I'll be doing more to promote the show as well. I just recorded a new podcast trailer late in december so if you are on a podcast app apple podcast spotify podcast or your favorite podcast app there should be an opportunity to play the trailer episode and you'll see that it's a brand new audio that i just recorded I recorded it actually <laughs> in november of last year and finally got around to getting it produced so there's a version of it on my youtube channel as well so please check that out and get an overview for what i've been doing and i've been cooking up these past nine plus years If you are a regular listener, if you've been listening since day one, if you've been listening just recently to recent episodes, then thank you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for spending your time with me. I don't take that time for granted. I know that we're all busy. There's so much going on in this world. And the fact that you spend some of your time listening to these conversations really warms my heart. And I'm grateful that you do that because I get to share these stories of these amazing and inspiring podcasters and hopefully some of your stories as well. If you are a podcaster and you've got a story to tell, don't hesitate to reach out. Harry at podcastjunkies.com. If you missed the last episode, it's been very well received. It's with Amy Fagan. She's got the grounded in Maine podcast and she talked about a whole range of stuff living in the Midwest nature, sustainability, homesteading, community involvement, podcasting, growth, starting a business, and making jam, and a whole bunch of things that make her such a special person. And I'm grateful that we've been working together on her show, and she's been sharing the story about what's been helpful and successful with her podcast. So please check that out if you have not done so already. This week, shout out to Lauren Purcell for introducing me to Amelia Ruby she's the founder of softer sounds and a host of off the grid and we talk about her fascinating journey and how networking family ties and life changes all came together to culminate in a rewarding podcasting career we talk about the world of interviewing musicians and we discuss our experiences as podcasters obviously there's a little bit of reminiscing about our life in cities specifically new york city And she talks about how she came to visit New York City at age 13 and how that sparked a lifelong love for traveling. We discuss how her podcast, Off the Grid, has served as a beacon for those looking to take a step back from the hubbub of daily city life. And it's a perspective that I've been sharing recently as I live out here in the Midwest, just outside of the Twin Cities. And appreciate the fact that I can wake up and see the trees in the backyard and the occasional deer and Turkey as well. It's a really heartwarming episode and a great way to kick off this new year. And I'm looking forward to your feedback on it as well. If you enjoy this episode, if you've enjoyed past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies. I want to get a slate of those kicked off for the new year. So please get those in. I'd love to read yours out next. Remember, these episodes are chock full of great takeaways, and as a listener, I want you to focus all your energy on our conversation. Rest assured, you can always visit podcastjunkies.com to read the full show notes for each episode, which include all guest links as well. Okay, before we get into this uninterrupted conversation with Amelia, here are a few words from the amazing folks who support this show. With so many companies starting up in the podcasting space, sometimes it's a bit of a challenge to figure out who you can trust and what the company is all about, which is why with my co-founder, Brad Nolan, we've created the Podosphere. Think of it as Yelp for podcasters. The Podosphere features all the companies making moves in the podcasting space. In this comprehensive directory, you'll be able to view the different companies by category, rate your favorites, and connect with them on their socials. As you learn more about your favorite companies, you'll also be able to create your own pod stack, which is a feature that lets your fans know all the companies and services that you're currently using to produce your show. For the most comprehensive podcast directory in the galaxy, head on over to thepodosphere.com. If you've been on the fence about getting your podcast started, I have great news for you. My newly updated course, Podcast Blueprint 101, walks you through everything you need to get your podcast off the ground. And best of all, listeners of this show will get 50% off in this course, I'll walk you through everything you need to get your podcast off the ground. In section one mindset, we'll talk about getting started, the importance of the right mindset, and how to think about continuous improvement for your show. In section two, we lay the groundwork. We talk about planning your show, positioning it, and how to go about creating a quality production. In the growth section, we focus on where and when to publish your show, how to promote it to the right platforms, and as an added bonus, some specifics about how you can profit from your show as well. I've also included a list of tools tools and services that have been helpful for me in the growth of my show. So again, the URL is podcastblueprint101.com and use promo code PBHD50 to get 50% off exclusively for listeners of the show. So Amelia Kruby, founder of Softer Sounds and host of Off the Grid. Thank you so much for joining me on Podcast Junkies.
0: Thanks for having me, Harry. I'm really excited to be here.
1: So special shout out to Lauren Passell, who made the intro. We had a chat recently and her episode's due to come out as well. And... She does such good things, great things for podcasting and marketing, and she's definitely knows her stuff when it comes to marketing and producing shows, but just getting the word out. And so i definitely appreciative of what she's doing for the industry, and I'm wondering how you two got connected.
0: Yeah. So Lauren and I met through a listserv called Ladio, which is for like women and non-binary folks in radio and podcasting. And she was just starting Tink, which is her media company. And she was looking for women in podcasting to interview. And I think I was her second interview for that blog (laughs) series. So this is like very early days. This is when Lauren was still even trying to figure out how she wanted to be involved in podcasting. Yes. And I was running my first show, 50 Feminist States, and we talked about that. And kind of from that point, we've just stayed in touch on and off over the past, I mean, that's gotta be four or five years yeah, now. definitely.
1: Have you made it out to the podcast conferences?
0: I have not done the conference circuit. Okay. I kind of feel like I occupy a slightly, like one foot in both world space in podcasting. Like I'm not really... I say I'm in the industry, but not of the industry. Mm. I tend to do more of my networking in like small business spaces and creator spaces. And I try to pop into podcasting when I need (laughs) a resource or I have a question or I'm not sure about something.
1: Where's home for you?
0: I live in Lincoln, Nebraska.
1: Mm. What was life like, did you born and raised there?
0: No, actually, I just moved here during the pandemic. It was a (laughs) pandemic-inspired move. Um, I grew up in North Carolina, went to college there. I moved to Chicago for grad school. And then my family's originally from here. My parents had moved back here, Mm. I think in like 2019. And during the pandemic, I needed to get out of the city, (laughs) and I ended up here, and I'm still here.
1: (laughs) We were on a road trip recently with my partner, and we went out to Colorado, and we live in in Minneapolis. And so that's a straight shot. It's a long day, but we can do it if we leave early enough. I think 4:30 in the morning. <laughs> There's something about getting on the road that early that's nice because by the time it gets to like yes. noon, it's you're halfway done with your trip. But on the way back, we decided yeah. to make it a two-parter, so we stopped not through Lincoln but through Omaha, Nebraska. So Yeah. yeah which was a really a vibrant downtown scene. I had never been and we stayed in uh, one of the older hotels. That's really nice. It's a really modern hotel. The name escapes me for a second, but It was, I think, just surprising for me because as you can tell from my hat, I'm a a bit of a city (laughs) born and raised, actually I was born in El Salvador. So I came here when I was a year old, but I was raised in New York. And so I've always had coastal living because I lived in LA as well. So home is Minneapolis and you said you were in Chicago. So you're a bit familiar with the Midwest and it's a bit of change in terms of pace.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, so much so.
1: so. Yeah. What do you think it is that keeps you in Lincoln given all the places you've lived previously?
0: Yeah, I think that I came to be closer to my family. I had actually went to boarding school when I was 16, Mm. a public boarding school in North Carolina. So I had not lived close to my parents for over a decade by the time I moved here. And with everything happening with the pandemic, and I lost one of my uncles pretty early on. And so I really sort of had this realization that if I wanted to spend time with people who were getting older, I had to actually like go spend time Mm. with them. (laughs) And it wasn't just gonna happen. And around that time, I had an opportunity to move into a house here. And so we moved and I have really enjoyed being closer to family, which is honestly not something I ever thought I would say. Like I was not someone who was on the trajectory to like move close to their parents. And then it happened. And I stay because of like low cost of living and affordability. And I launched my business in 2021 and it's really given me some breathing room in these early years to like get up and running and get the revenue growing and become really profitable without having to, you know, be paying like New York City or even Brooklyn or Queens rent at the same yeah. time, which I have some friends doing that. <laughs> and it's really rough to start a business and need to like make that $2,500 a month rent. That's really hard.
1: <laughs> yeah. So is it safe to say that when you were in college and figuring out and studying and on your major and getting your degrees that maybe podcasting wasn't in your future back then? <laughs>
0: Yeah, not at all. I was an English major in college, and then I went and got a PhD in philosophy. So I was like this humanities kid. I loved writing. But when I was in Chicago doing my grad degree, I started volunteering for a community radio station, and I was an on-air DJ once a week, and I loved it, and I loved music, and I loved the Chicago music scene. And the station manager asked if I would be interested in running the local music interview podcast like i just interviewed local bands and i was like hell yeah that's great and then she was like great you can do the interviews and you need to edit it and make the episodes and run the podcast And i was like okay but they taught me and trained me in how to do everything and so that was really the beginning of my like podcasting work and now career
1: what was the name of the show
0: The station was called Chirp Radio, and my show was called Girl Power Hour. I did a drive time, it's Tuesday morning drive time show, all music from like women and non binary artists.
1: Do you have some favorites that used to play a lot?
0: Oh gosh, who did I used (laughs) to play a lot? In terms of Chicago local bands, like I loved this band called Impulsive Hearts, Mm. not local, but I was super into Mitski. I played a lot of Julian Baker. Now I'm like a big fan of like Boy Genius, or I'm really into Chapel Roan's new album. So those are all folks I would play then and now on Girl Power Hour. Do
1: you have a Spotify playlist for them?
0: I have too many Spotify playlists, <laughs> but I could certainly send you Please at least do, one if folks want to hear it. I love it. Yeah. to
1: just give the listener a little peek into like the mind of our guests sometimes. And sometimes the best way to do yeah. that is just, especially for the DJ, because DJ's near and dear to my heart. I grew up DJing, but more on the vinyl house music scene. And so oh, I learned cool. on turntables how to beat match and still have my turntables. I'm dying to get them set up here in, in our new place. And... Similar to you, I think how you know, this may be a feeling that you had, but it's this idea of controlling the mood of and the tempo. of. And I don't know how much feedback you were able to get on the radio station, but as a DJ, when you're live and you're mixing, you literally can see the results of the song you played and it either continues the energy or it drops the energy. And you're just like, okay, that one didn't work. And you have to like think on your feet, which yeah. is, which I love.
0: Yeah, that is such a fun experience. I've live DJed a few times, not on yeah. vinyl. I don't know how to beat match and all of that, but it is so fun to be in that like responsive place with a crowd. Mm. Like, I think there are few opportunities to like really be creating or mixing in real time and see what the feedback is and radio is definitely not like that like i was in this sort of you know windowless studio at 5 30 in the morning by myself (laughs)
1: and
0: and getting you know playing things but sometimes we get call-ins or sometimes i'd hear from get emails from folks so that was always exciting but not quite that same responsivity which honestly like i think is something people really miss in a lot of like in podcasting I hear from a lot of the hosts that I work with the sense of like, I love making the show, but I never hear from anybody. (laughs) And I like, I want to know what they think, right? Like there's not necessarily that like easy kind of feedback or social mechanism within the industry or like within podcasting right now.
1: I think what was helpful for me because on the meta version, I have a podcast where I speak to podcasters. So I go to podcasting yeah. conferences. And I think early on, I made a conscious choice to make sure it was video. So I at least developed a rapport with my guests. Back then, it was mm-hmm. Skype with call recorder. But then you go to the conferences and they're like, hey, Harry, really enjoyed that conversation. Or hey, Harry, I've been listening to the show. And it's happened with my second show as well, which I hosted a show called the Vertical Farming Podcast. And I, now I go to indoor farming conferences. But people there have listened to the show and they're like, oh, I've listened to all the episodes. And I think as a host, there's something humbling about the fact that people spend their time with you, like dedicate an hour of their time to listen to your show, which I never want to take that for granted because without our listener, we we wouldn't have a show.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm always... Have the sort of reaction of like when I put out an episode and then someone's like, Oh, I heard you say this. I'm like, (laughs) No one was supposed to hear that. (laughs) You know, like I made a whole podcast and I'm still just like in this sort of funny moment of being like, Wow, people actually listen. And I agree, like, exactly the words you use. It's very humbling. And I'm always so grateful for people's time and attention, especially in this era of like, endless pings to our attention all the time
1: so when you were assigned the duties for hosting the podcast for the radio station was that your first foray into podcasting or had you been listening to podcasts at that time or how aware of it were you
0: at that point i had like heard serial i think i had listened to s town or shut town but i had not i was not like an avid podcast listener by any means like making a podcast was nowhere on radar yeah
1: And so what did you learn about the process that was different than what you were doing in the radio station?
0: So a lot of that process was field recording. So I was like going to clubs to talk to bands. I was going to festivals to talk to bands. Like we kind of worked the festival circuit. So I got to go to Riot Fest and do interviews and Pitchfork Music Festival and do interviews. And so I was really learning how to like be out there with a field recorder and like have a conversation with a musician who's just come off stage or is going on. And like that was really... (laughs) nerve-wracking for me and thrilling at the same time and then learning you know i think i took to editing pretty easily it was i think a lot of my skill set was just like how to have a really good conversation with someone you've never met and you only have 15 minutes Mm. with and how to navigate that and not and get them hopefully to say something that they haven't just already said 20 times that day and i think that's made me like a much better podcaster like most podcasters you know we're like in our home studios hanging yeah. out talking to somebody over the internet but the fact that i had to do that a bunch of times live and it's similar to what you're talking about dj like get that responsive feedback like oh they didn't <laughs> like that question or oh they don't want to talk about that yeah. or like you know kind of navigate that with yeah. people it just made me a much better interview when i did interviewer when i did get back to this more like virtual podcasting space
1: I've heard that before from folks that have had that experience with interviewing artists and you get such a short window and I can't imagine what it's like to be actually at the festival and they're thinking about their performance not about <laughs> giving you the best answers. And so what tips do you have or, or what did you learn that's different because obviously in a long-form interview like we're having now we've got the time to just kind of relax in terms of the conversation and let it open up naturally but to your point there you What's the nature of the questions you ask when you're in that tight window of like 10 to 15 minutes to ensure you're getting something valuable?
0: yeah so i definitely was someone who did a lot of research i was really listening to other interviews they'd done reading written interviews like really trying to find as much as i could of kind of what are things they've been asked about what do they speak about a lot is there anything that's kind of pinging my interest or attention that i can bring to this that might be a little different or take something a little deeper so like the research phase was really helpful coming with questions ready. I would normally write a list of like at least 10 to 12 questions. I never had time to ask all of them, but that way I didn't have those moments where like I'm just blanking out or where if they answer things really fast, sometimes people will give you like a one sentence answer and I need more questions. So I always wrote like an abundance of questions (laughs) for my 15 minutes with them. And then I think all of that said, it's like, you need to do all of that. And then when you get in the conversation, you need to forget that you've prepped and just like go. Because it's also awkward if all you do is read your question and stare at them and ask them to answer. So kind of having those like empathetic, like responsive skills where you can be like, kind of leaning in and asking them about noticing when they seem interested in something and asking a follow-up question about that before moving on or noticing when they're not interested and like quickly (laughs) moving on i also always would ask a question like that was really about like where we were so if we were at a festival i'd ask if they i would know if they'd played the festival before but i might ask about their last performance or if they're excited to be there for the first time or something to kind of just open us up into the space we're actually in and then go deeper into their music or art practice or whatever it may be
1: It feels like that skill is so important to learn because as a podcaster, that happens a lot, especially in the early days when you're getting your feet wet with podcast interviews. You have to learn how to read the room or read the guests and their feedback. And obviously I can't imagine what it's like. Occasionally I've had it happen. You know, you ask a question and it just didn't didn't land properly or you can clearly see that's probably not something they want to talk about. So you have to learn how to pivot very quickly and just keep the conversation, sort of this this idea of managing the flow of the conversation I think is such an important skill to learn.
0: Yeah. And I think I agree completely. It's such an important skill and it takes time. Mm-hmm. It will be awkward in the beginning. And part of becoming a podcaster is like embracing that and getting through that stage. And honestly, like you've done hundreds of interviews. I've done hundreds yeah. of interviews, like the awkward moments still happen. <laughs> like it's like you just said, like it still happens yeah. sometimes. It's not unavoidable, but knowing how to kind of reset or keep going or move in a different direction, flow somewhere else together with your guest is so important. And I would also say like, it's a lot of soft skills. I've noticed more and more podcasters seem like They kind of try to outsource this to like the pre-interview form and Mm. I love a pre-interview form. I encourage them. I tell all my podcasters, I'm like, get the emails, get the bios, get the photos, (laughs) ask them if there's something they definitely want to talk about or don't want to talk about. But I've personally started getting pre-interview forms that ask me to write the questions Uh. they're going to ask or ask me to write the show notes that they're going to use. And I'm a little bit like... That's your job. <laughs> yeah, it takes a, and it just takes away from yeah. I'm like, if I wanted to say all this, I would just say it on my own podcast, right? Yeah. Like, I want us to be in dialogue. And like, if we're not really creating that shared space together, like if the guests are just doing all of that for you, I don't know what your role as the host yeah. is anymore. And, and it's really important to me as a host that my guests feel welcomed and invited and taken care of in the process of the conversation.
1: I think this is such an important reminder, because It's almost at that point, they're just going through the motions, you know, they're just churning interviews out and they're not, I've been on those and you just feel like you're just a cog and just like, okay, they've got the basics now and they've got another episode in the can and they're just going, they're probably doing three or four a week and there's no connection with those. And I think... We have such limited time nowadays and i think Mm -hmm. to your point it's i'd rather be spending it with people in genuine conversation (laughs) at least for the time that we spend together to like learn more about my guests and sharing those stories with my audience as well i always like Mm -hmm. to include everyone that's been in in this conversation right now and your cat is also been making an appearance (laughs) so you want to introduce
0: yes so that she just jumped okay. off screen but her name is wilco like the chicago okay. band is she i got her she's a chicago I cat i adopted her there in like my first three months of living in the city and so i named her wilco after the yeah. band
1: during the interviews did you get to meet any of your heroes
0: i interviewed i don't heroes is a great word i'm not sure about that but i definitely interviewed some people where i was like oh my god i never thought i to talk to you <laughs> <laughs> And now I'm trying to remember, like, who are these people? I I have a really clear memory of interviewing Vagabond at Pitchfork. And she's a musician I just really admire. And I love her albums. And honestly, the interview was totally awkward. And I think I hugely fumbled it. But it was fine. (laughs) And I am just grateful that I got to do that. And that I got to talk to... I'm trying to think of other... Now that you asked me that, my mind is going yeah. blank. But I would say every interview I did felt like really special and exciting. Yeah. And that one just sticks out, I think, because I was a little bit starstruck yeah, at the time. That was
1: fun. So as you were doing the podcast there, you know, talk a little bit about the transition into thinking or what that looks like for the timeline-wise, getting started with your own shows.
0: Yeah, so I started working on the local music show at Chirp and then... Once you know how to make a podcast and you people know that you edit audio, they just start coming out of the woodwork and asking you to do things. I feel like every editor had this experience. like if you just want to learn how to edit and only make your own show, just like don't tell anyone you know how to <laughs> yeah. edit because they will come to you and they will I'll ask you, you yep. to do audio things for them. And so that kind of started happening. Like I made that show and then a friend asked if I'd be interested in working on a show she was running for her business. and so I was doing a little more editing. And then I got this idea probably a year or so, maybe two, a year and a half into that process, that I really wanted to launch my own show that combined my love of travel and my kind of research and dissertation on feminism and I with this newfound skill of podcasting. So I launched a Kickstarter campaign for a show called 50 Feminist States. And I raised. I think six or seven thousand dollars with that first campaign. And I used that money to go on a road trip around the Midwest and Mountain West. And I did I interviewed feminist activists and artists in each state. And then I did these state sort of portrait episodes where I'd like kind of put different conversations together to feature some type of feminist issue or artist or organizing effort in that state. And it was such a joy. I did three road trips, three seasons, and I loved that project. It was all crowdfunded, but I think by the end I'd raised over thirteen thousand oh. dollars to travel and do the interviews and it still lives online. <laughs> As I was telling you before we hit record, the pandemic kind of brought the project to a close. I actually was like on a flight March I don't know fifteenth, twentieth, twenty twenty to go on the next okay. trip when travel got grounded in the US and I stopped and then the project never quite picked back up. So that was my show. And then from there, in that process, I like finished my PhD, I moved to Nebraska, And when I got here, I wanted to transition out of the job I was working in into my own business. And so I kind of took all these podcasting skills and contacts that I had, and I launched Softer Sound Studio, which is my podcast studio working with entrepreneurs and creatives to make their shows. And now we have a roster of a few dozen shows at any given time, and we make episodes with people and write show notes and do all that good stuff. And it's a blast. I really love it.
1: And then you're hosting off the grid.
0: Yes, so I also <laughs> have my own podcast. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, so time. I also have, in my spare time, I have like three podcasts, but the main one is off the grid, yeah. which is a show about leaving social media as a business owner. And it's basically for anyone who wants to like share and sell their work online or offline without needing social media, relying on social media to do that. So on the show, I share a lot of strategies and stories for about creative marketing practices. And then I interview former influencers about their journeys, like leaving social media or quitting influencing. And I talk to a lot of business leaders who share, you know, different marketing practices they use or business ideas that have been like foundational for them. And I'm really just trying to help people realize that they do not have to be on social media for their business, podcast, art studio, whatever it may be to be a success. Like we have other ways we can market and sell our work if you don't want to be on social.
1: Lots to unpack there. So I'm going <laughs> to try to make sure <laughs> I, I manage these threads that I'm dying to pull here. I'm curious where your love of travel is. Came from when that started?
0: I think it started growing up in a pretty small town yeah. and feeling totally <laughs> stifled there. I grew up in like a county of 30,000 people in North Carolina. Yeah. And I always was like buying magazines and watching movies and like dreaming of going other places, primarily like New York City, uh, your hometown. Yes. <laughs> and when I was in eighth grade, I like basically bullied my parents into taking me on a trip okay. there by creating an itemized budget of how much money we would need i we got train tickets so it'd be cheaper than flying like i found a hotel where we could all stay right by central park 13
1: that's impressive
0: (laughs) (laughs) i was very precocious i was a very precocious child but it worked because they took me on the trip and i loved new york and i like it just knew that i wanted to be in a city and i wanted to like I wanted to travel. And so I just started traveling a lot more. And throughout college, I would go all over by myself. I've been a solo traveler for a long time. I've driven across the country by alone three times, oh, I think. Wow. And just really love it. Like, I just love being in new and different places and exploring. But I think the root is just, like, my inner preteen trying to get out of that small-town lifestyle.
1: <laughs> that is precocious, and that is tenacity and just... The ability to organize and plan a trip and to the point where you've got, you're probably I don't know if it's a spreadsheet or at least just a budget or something. <laughs> just like, it's crazy. Yeah. That's fun.
0: Yeah, I need it. It was great. I remember that trip so fun. So I was,
1: yeah, I was thinking about that. Like I'm always fascinated because I, I felt like I was spoiled because New York City was my backyard because I grew up in Yonkers. So if you're looking at a map, it's the Bronx, Manhattan, and then Yonkers is the first city outside of the five boroughs. Cool. But... Can you place yourself back in those shoes and just if you can remember what it was like when you got off the train and you're in New York City?
0: (laughs) Oh, I was in awe. I just remember feeling so energized by the city. It's how I still feel every time I go to the city. It's like I didn't realize I was like an empty pit until I get there and I'm like so full up on all the energy of the other people. And... Mm. I really love how like everyone there just has like a thing that they like love doing and they're like working on and toward. And sometimes that can be exhausting. I do understand that. But I just felt like, especially because I was that precocious teenager, I was just like, why doesn't everyone care more and want more and do more? And in New York City, they are caring more and wanting more and doing more. And yeah. I felt so excited by that. But I think some of the highlights for me were just like – getting into the city walking around i remember riding bikes in central park i remember Mm. going to times square and at 13 i loved it i thought it was the best place in the whole world (laughs) now i often go to new york and don't leave brooklyn but that's different (laughs) it's a lot but yeah it is a lot but yeah and i remember just being like, I feel the image is coming to mind as like a Looney Tunes character mm. with like the stars and like the Auga <laughs> eyes. Like that was me the whole time I was there. That's what
1: happens in Times Square. I mean, it's a sensory overload. You know, it's oh certainly. It's like the whole strip of Las Vegas consolidated into like those corners. <laughs> and yeah. I think for me, it's interesting because it always feel like home to me. But I think recently, and I don't know if something shifted after COVID, but I noticed more of a frenetic energy. More Mm. as like everyone's just running around and doing their thing. And maybe it's because I'm in the Midwest now and I know the listener (laughs) would get get tired of hearing the deers that are my property (laughs) we see turkeys come to feed and our neighbors have chickens and so completely different lifestyle now. And I'm kind of enjoying the peace and quiet and I'm sure you can relate being in Nebraska just having a a sanctuary to return home to.
0: Yeah, I feel really at home in the Midwest, which is likely because that's where my family's from. But I do even living in Chicago for seven years, like it's still very much a city, but the pace is so different from New York or LA. It's much more relaxed. People are much more Kinder. I don't know what I want. To, they're kind. They're not in a hurry. Less <laughs> rude. Just like living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all true. I
1: had to get used to that being here. My partner, when I first got here, she's like, "You what? You don't say hi to anybody. Like, why are you just like? <laughs> how come you're just like very gruff? Like, we'd go to a restaurant reservations. I'm like, Harry, table two. She's like. Ask them how they're doing or something. And it took a while because New York is to say you'd get on a subway car. There's a hundred people in the car, but no one's making eye contact. You're oh, not yeah, connecting no. with people on a one-to-one level. And it'd be weird if you did. And just like, good morning. There's someone in New York City every morning. Just like, good morning. Good morning. Hello. Waving to everybody. and <laughs> You get used to that here. Now I'm like, I go out, I'm in the car. I see somebody walking. I'm like, I'm waving at them. <laughs> I'm just like, yep. It's rubbing off on me now. So
0: yeah, it's yeah, fun. It
1: is fun. And so the Kickstarter, did you have experience doing that? And why did you decide to go that route? And how hard was it to learn to put that together?
0: Yeah, so I did not have any experience doing a Kickstarter crowdfunding. I read Amanda Palmer's book, The Art of Asking, Mm -hmm. which when she wrote it, she ran, I think the first million dollar Kickstarter. So she like really did a lot of crowdfunding for herself and her band the dresden dolls i believe Mm -hmm. and it really inspired me to that like i could do this road tripping podcast even though i had no money to fund the project because i was in grad school you know grad students get paid i was getting paid like twenty thousand dollars a year to live in chicago like i didn't have extra funds to just like go off on the road and i think that really what the reason it worked well for me is that I had been doing a lot of like community work in the city. I had donated a lot of time to the radio station. I had also worked with this organization called Fourth Chicago that supported creative women business owners. And like, because I'd been volunteering essentially so much, like when I created this campaign asking for support people really showed up and they were really excited to support me and to support the idea at large yeah. this was also happening in 2017 so you know the year that Trump goes into office and like i think there was a lot of hunger for reckon- like learning more about feminism around the country you know it was like the year of the women the first women's march or at that time that iteration of it and so i think that like the project I was bringing my community together and the project was like really needed in that moment in a way that honestly, I don't know if it would resonate now, but that's okay.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you learned a lot about that process and also on the responsibility you feel like when you have people that are contributing and probably small dollar amounts and how they all add up, you know, to those thousands you were able to collect and use as the basis for this trip. I imagine there's a special place in your heart for all these individual contributors who really like believed in you and supported you.
0: Oh, most definitely. I'm like so grateful and have so much gratitude. And I think that, you know, I carry that forward. Like I feel that same gratitude for my listeners now, even though maybe they aren't donating dollars in the same way. Although many of them Mm -hmm. are because I have a lot of offering or I have offerings associated with my podcast and they buy those things. And it's, I really appreciate that. And, but I think that it was so like, Crowdfunding was like a really great step toward running my own business. It taught me a lot about asking for support, asking for money, thinking about what I could offer that was like reasonable for me to produce in response or like as thanks. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it was like a little mini experiment and it went really well, fortunately.
1: Off the grid. This is a very interesting topic. And I just happened to see someone who's been in like a business mastermind previously. He's got incredibly successful businesses, like multimillion dollar business. And he recently just posted, he's going to stay on Facebook as his one channel, but he completely signed off of everything else. He's got four daughters, mm-hmm. he lives in Australia, and I think he just had a realization that time with his daughters is a very small window of memories, you know, because as they get older, then they start to, you know, he already with his older Mm -hmm. daughter, she's already said, hey, I think he would be reading her books at night. And she's the first one to say, hey, I'd actually want to read this book on my own now. So, which is a a bittersweet Mm -hmm. moment, right? As a parent, you're like, oh no, (laughs) like you're losing that connection. So that's top of mind for me. And it's so interesting that this came up and I'm wondering about the origin for this, you know, how you came up with uh, with, uh, with this idea.
0: Yeah. So the origin for the show really comes from my own experience leaving social media. So like many people joined social media in 20... Well, I joined Facebook in, gosh, 2009? No, 2007. And I joined Instagram in like 2012. And I had been on it for a really long time. And I started growing a platform. I was you know, I would say I was like a micro-influencer by the time we hit 2019 or so. And I got a book deal, and I used to, I really put a lot of work into growing my Instagram following to try to sell my mm-hmm. book and have my book be successful. And the more work I put into social media, the more time I spent there, the more it felt like a scam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was like, the more I give to this, the less I feel that I get from mm-hmm. it. And... I started to realize that I was just had a really bad relationship with this app and I wasn't interested in working on that. Like I work on relationships with humans in my life. I don't want to work so hard on my relationship with an app in my life. And I don't want to give so much time to it to feel like I'm even a small amount successful there. And so in April, 2021, I left social media entirely. I, Like archived most of my posts on Instagram and then logged out of my account for the last time. Uh I didn't have a Twitter at that point. I didn't have a TikTok and I left Facebook long ago. So for me it was a lot about leaving Instagram. But yeah I left and I launched my business and i was just like living my life and people kept asking me how did you leave social media like is it okay did it work like what's going on are you alone in the universe because you love social media (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i'm like i'm great i'm like living my life out here in nebraska hanging out but because i got all those questions i decided to start off the grid to start answering them because everyone i was getting like i got probably I would say like six to 12 emails from friends asking me about it. And I was like, that's enough people who want to know that I'm going to take a chance and just start this show. And I think the first five episodes are really me unpacking like why I got on there, why I needed to leave, how I left and how I think other people can do that as well. And the response has just been now at the end of season two, like pretty phenomenal. Like people at this point, I think really want to step back from these platforms, Mm -hmm. really want to immerse themselves in their own lives, but they don't want to sacrifice having a successful business or podcast or art practice by doing so. And so I'm trying to help, like we're all co-creating how to do that together. And it's been really exciting work.
1: So where are you now current day? We're recording this October, 2023. And what's your relationship with socials? And curiously also how it relates to any promotional work you, you think about doing for the shows and the work that you do for clients as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I'm still off social media. You could go find my old account if you yeah. like. It's at Amelia Jo Fruby on Instagram. There is a Instagram page for softer sounds, but I don't log into it. And some people have <laughs> followed it, but there's nothing there for yeah. them. I think that in terms of how I promote my own work and help clients promote their work, I mean, I certainly have plenty of clients who are on social media and we make social media graphics for them. I'm not in the business of forcing anyone off social just because it was the right decision for me doesn't mean it's the right decision for everyone. But in terms of how I promote my own work without social media, which is what people really want to know, I'm very active on email. I have different email lists for different aspects of my work. I do a lot of podcast guesting like this or collaborating. Luckily, in my work, I meet a lot of podcasters. So I get to be on their shows, have them on my shows. And I also really do a lot of like relationship marketing and networking, like I'm really big on connection calls and meeting people. And I'm kind of just launched a membership platform through off the grid to try to meet more listeners and connect with them virtually, but face to face that way. Because I think that for me, like, actually building that network that community having those relationships is what has helped the work go the farthest because some of the people in my network have very large audiences and have been like gracious enough to share the show and share the leaving social media toolkit and you know that can lead to like dozens or in one case even like hundreds of new people finding out about the show from them sending like one email and so i like really try to take care of relationships so that those opportunities arise organically and that's been like a really powerful growth avenue.
1: For So in terms of maintaining that network, typically a lot of folks do that with something like LinkedIn because of like the business nature of, of that platform. But I imagine you're not on there either. So is this all happening through email, These just maintaining and fostering these connections?
0: Yeah, pretty much. I guess I do have a LinkedIn, I don't really use it. Sometimes I see people tag me in okay. things. I just like to share because sometimes people want to, like, gotcha me. They're like, but I saw you. And I'm like, this doesn't matter. Like, I don't spend my time here. It's not really relevant to me. But, yeah, it's a lot of email. It's a lot of Zoom calls. I also really love this app called Voxer that allows you to send voice messages. I do that. All of my clients have Voxer access to me and then a lot of my just like business friends as well. And so we'll just chat and catch up there, which I found really effective for staying in touch over time. And I also really love like for anyone who wants to do this themselves, I love this woman named Michelle Warner, her work, she has a sort of system for growing and maintaining your network and it's based off of kind of you sending a different type of email every day of the week Mm. and so i'll send you the link for that so we can include it in the show notes i've had her on off the grid it's really fantastic for anyone who's like i don't really know how to grow my network and even when i do i don't know how to keep in touch with people like it's exactly what michelle's networking that pays program is about mm-hmm. and it's relatively affordable. The free webinar she has will basically teach it okay. to you and then if you take the course you get all the templates and everything else. So, highly recommend that if you want to go down this path. It's been really helpful.
1: Yeah, that'll be interesting because I think people want the connection and I think what they're realizing with social that it's not the meaningful type of connection and obviously everyone just posting their best IG moments on these channels. And so, mm-hmm. I think I'm managing my relationship over the years as well and I've I've actually returned to Facebook but in a way where I'm just posting like almost journaling my story of like Mm -hmm. what's happening, Mm -hmm. the highs and the lows. And I've been sharing stuff that's very in the past would have been vulnerable for me. So I think it's interesting to see that there's some people getting that feedback, but I can totally understand how it can just be all consuming, especially you're producing shows for clients. You know, that's top of mind for me. So I'm conscious of like doing my best to get their shows promoted. And you have to be in the social world to do that or know or keep up with what's happening there. So, you know, it feels (laughs) that sometimes like you're on the hamster treadmill a lot.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something that's really been a benefit to me that I understand not everyone can do, which is that I did leave social media. I talk about it a lot. And so the clients that come to Softer Sounds tend to at least be like open to questioning the role of social media in their work. And I've had some people come who really like they want to have a podcast, but what they really want is to have like 20 reels for each episode and all of that. And you know, they're just not a good fit for us. But there are tons of other studios out there who will make that type of content with you. And that's okay. Honestly, I'm trying to help my clients make less content, but make more resonant content, more impactful content, more unique content. Because speaking to like our earlier part of the conversation, like I'm tired I don't enjoy when I show up for an interview and I realize I'm in like a content mill and it's just like so impersonal. And I don't want any of the shows I work on to ever feel that way. And sometimes that means we have to like slow our process down or take a step back. But like I'm really invested in making more intentional content in podcast episodes, in newsletters, on blog posts. And I'm trying to help my clients do the same.
1: So I'd love for you to share, maybe if there's one or two Kind of tips that come to mind in your conversations with your clients or is there something that you see as a trend not a trend but just uh, something that you're always reminding them of or a consistent pattern or something that they come to you and you're always like okay i keep having to remind my clients of this especially as new podcasters i'm always curious for people that are in the production business like what's a, a like top of mind tip or guidance for new podcasters that they should be aware of as they're as they're getting started with their show in terms of coming across as more genuine
0: Yeah. So I think that something I'm always reminding my podcasters is that you have to take care of yourself in this Mm -hmm. process. Like, and I mean that in a lot of different ways. So one way is like literal physical care. Like if you're sick, your voice won't work well, and then you can't make your show. And it really like we can get so disembodied in our work habits that we forget, you know, you're like, well, even now I'm like, oh, I'm a little (laughs) sick and I'm recording this. But You're like, oh, I can sit on my computer and like write my newsletter while I'm sick. Who cares? But then you go to record your podcast and you sound like a frog the whole (laughs) time. And you're like, oh, yeah, like actually we have to take care of ourselves in this process. And I think, I think because right now we're kind of entering flu season, that's top of mind because I'm getting it from a lot of people who are like, I can't, we have to take a break because I'm sick, which leads to like a second point, which I think is I'm always giving people permission to take breaks, Mm. which is really hard for people who run weekly shows. Like it really feels like a failure point to have a week without an episode. In terms of newer podcasters, they're probably not at that point yet, but something I'm always saying to them is that the process of launching your first episode is a big, beautiful feat that I want to support you with. And then it's like a whole other thing to keep going in the ongoing way. And so I will often get people who like, Really want to like get that first episode out and I'm always pulling us back. I'm like, all right, I need us to have like at minimum four episodes done before we go live because it's going to take you time to shift gears from like, here's my launch. It's the first time. Great. I finished my launch. Now it's done into like, oh, now I'm doing this thing that's kind of never done. (laughs) Like I'm always (laughs) helping them. I think to be a good podcaster, you have to be able to work ahead and stay present with your episodes that are going live. Mm. And that's really hard for some people, like really hard. (laughs) And I've noticed that. And for those people, I encourage them to have a slower cadence. I'm like, if you can only work on the episode that's gonna go live and share it, then we gotta move to like bi-weekly yeah. or even monthly yeah. so you can be present. Otherwise, you have to have the capacity to like see ahead and stay with what your audience is getting as they're getting it. And so I just really think for podcasters, it's a lot about pacing. And like, we really have to learn what our pace is, how we can pace. And people don't anticipate that when they launch a show. And so I'm always helping them navigate that as we enter the process. And some of that is the permission to take breaks, the permission to slow down. And some of that is also like, speeding up together and like realizing oh wait i do have the capacity for this i'm so excited i want to like sprint through it and we can do that but then also we get tired and we need to take a break (laughs) because you can't sprint forever if you have a human body like (laughs) mine or anyone's human body it will eventually stop sprinting so yeah i guess that's what's coming to mind in terms of like taking care of yourself so you can make a more genuine podcast especially as you're getting started i guess and kind of just telling you what's ahead yeah. <laughs> in, your, in your journey.
1: Pot fading is a real thing.
0: <laughs> it is, yeah. I'm trying to work on a sort of like manifesto about sustainable shows, like making them sustainably, not like eco sustainability, yeah. but like I've really just been noticing with a lot of my clients, like we're all burnt out. Like they're burning me out by trying to make more content. I'm burning, like their show is burning them out in the process. And I think we need like a reframe on podcasting and what expectations we have for ourselves and our show and what expectations our audience have for us so that like we can keep making these shows because I've lost a couple of really great shows over the past year because they just couldn't make them anymore. Mm. And it makes me sad for like, not for me, like my business is fine. It makes me sad because they were really good shows (laughs) and like I wish they still existed and had the energy to keep going. And I respect that it wasn't the case, but I want to see less of that in the industry, not more of it.
1: That's a such a helpful reminder just to take care of ourselves because without our voice and without our health, we don't have a show, right? We, exactly. we are the point person for this show and we're the transmission that's happening. If we're not taking care of ourselves with our health and our mind and we can't be present for our guests, and then we're not going to be producing the best that we're capable of. And I think that's such a, An incredible, helpful reminder for people. And just to also just to understand what their pace is and to go at the pace that's comfortable for them. I think it's such a great reminder. I'm curious, Amelia, because of your study of philosophy, do you find that you return to that a lot? Or how is that colored, like sort of like the lens through which you see and live your life?
0: I don't think of maybe like philosophers or philosophies very often, like specific things. But what I have, what I'm learning it's taught me is that I'm an incredibly critical thinker Mm -hmm. and I'm really able to kind of assess trends or things that are happening and have like unique insights and see ways, and then also have those, take those insights and kind of convert them into like frameworks that non-philosophers can understand. So... In the context of off the grid, I'm able to do like a 20 minute episode, like my very first episode of the show was like three myths about social media for small business owners or three myths and one truth, I think. And in that I was really able to point very quickly to like, here are three points of dissonance that you've probably felt with what you've been told about social media and what you've experienced about social media. And I can really kind of look at it, I can point those out and I can give this like snappy content framework for it. (laughs) And Nobody goes to get a PhD in philosophy to be able to do that. Most people just become content marketers. But I got a PhD in philosophy to be able to do that. And I think that really – I don't underestimate like the power of being a really smart, critical thinker mm. in this sort of era of so much – AI generated content, so much like SEO watered down content, you know, so much content is just written for like, algorithms and computers and without other people in mind. And I think that I'm really grateful that I spent seven years just like reading really smart people thinking about what they have to say, and then taking apart what they said, and critiquing it. And that's really kind of allowed me to do that with things I care a little bit more about than maybe, you know, like, 17th century German
1: thought. Which that makes great for conversational talks when you're with someone or you're at the bar or something. It's I'm sure it makes for very interesting sidebar conversations when you find someone.
0: It certainly can (laughs) when they want to talk about it. But normally nobody brings up like (laughs) Kant at the bar, but they can. I could talk about it.
1: (laughs) Let me tell you about Nietzsche. So as we wrap this fantastic conversation to a close, I have a couple of questions that I always ask my guests what is something you've changed your mind about recently
0: (laughs) okay i'm going to say this and i'm not sure if i've changed my mind what immediately comes to mind is i think i have sort of changed my mind about substack okay i'm pretty critical of the platform or not of the platform itself i think it's a great free tool for creators but i think that their app is basically a social media app and when substack bills itself as Not social media. I don't think that's true. (laughs) But I'm about to launch a Substack newsletter with a friend of mine. And so I think I've changed my mind about Substack.
1: (laughs) Have you looked at Beehive?
0: Not from like the sign up end, but I just, someone just sent me their newsletter and it was on Beehive. And I was like, oh, this looks just like Substack. (laughs) It's,
1: I waffled between both when I I have it now, personal newsletter at harryduran.com, which is sort of just like my free form, kind of maybe a little bit what you're alluding to, just top of mind. It used to be like a marketing newsletter, but mm-hmm. now it goes out every Saturday. Just like, hey, I went to this men's gathering. Hey, I just had a session with my therapist. Hey, I, I just had a podcast interview. So it's a nice, the fact that it's not a lot of pressure to market anything and just talk about my life has mm-hmm. like, you know, reduced a lot of the overwhelm about what to write about. Cause I just think about, oh, how was my week? And sometimes it's a paragraph yeah. or sometimes it's a book I read that I just want to deep dive in. So it's got a lot of features that I think are helpful and I've now upgraded to the paid version. So it might be interesting just to experiment with both and to see that they make it a lot of tools that are helpful for creators just getting started, I think as well. Oh, cool.
0: Yeah, I get the sense that Beehive has a more marketing oriented, like Substack is trying to be like for writers and I think Beehive brings in more traditional email marketing tools, which is, I did a whole episode of Off The Grid on called to Substack or not to Substack. (laughs) And my main critique was like, Substack's not great for business owners. It doesn't do the things you need your emails to do when you run a business, but like that, not everyone runs a business. And I think Beehive might be an alternative that is also good for business owners.
1: What is the most misunderstood thing about you?
0: Well, people think that because I'm not on social media, maybe I have no social life, which is extremely (laughs) not true. (laughs) I have so many friends. I talk to them all the time. I have a very fulfilling social life. It's just not on social
1: media let's not get it twisted as they say digital social is very different (laughs) from like irl social (laughs) yes exactly well thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show thanks again to lauren for introducing us it's always fascinating to hear about all the different things that are happening and as much as i'd love to stay on top of all the Cool podcasts and listen to all the podcasts as you can relate to. There's not enough time in the day, right? And so I really treasure these opportunities to slow down and spend an hour with someone and just go deep on just learning about them, their shows, and get them and get my listener inspired to explore new shows and also just learn about things that are happening, like people having conversations about getting off the grid. And it's been fascinating to see the arc of your journey in terms of like what you studied and how radio led to the podcast and how you've begun to piece all the things that you've learned, your love for travel. And and it feels like everything now has come to bear here in the stuff that you're working on now with, with the podcast and with your guests. And I just love the opportunity for you to share your story with my listeners today.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. Harry, and for anyone who listens to this and thinks, wow, Amelia really had it all figured out and has it all figured out, like please know this story only makes sense, like in hindsight. When I was living that stuff, I was like, what am I doing? This is all so random. So I'm grateful that to have been here and have had this conversation with you. And I'm just really glad that Podcast Chunkies exists and that you're out there having these conversations with podcasters all over. So thanks for having me.
1: So I'm curious, as someone who is off the grid, where would you like to send folks to connect with you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have lots of websites, so you can find, if you're interested in stepping back from social media yourself, you can find my podcast and our free leaving social media toolkit at offthegrid.fun. And if you want to learn more about Softer Sounds, you can go to softersounds.studio. And if you're interested in my work, you can find me at Ameliafruby.com. Okay,
1: we'll make sure all those links are in the show notes as well. Thanks again for your time, Amelia. We appreciate it.